you're listening to Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is for the doers, dreamers, and makers of the world. For anyone who wishes they had more time and freedom to play, who struggles with creative blocks, or who's trying to figure out how to make a living while making art, I'm here to stumble through the madness by your side. Once you finish listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and tell a friend. It will really help me out. You can also join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group after the show and find all the show notes at dinaadriance.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. My guest today is Carolyn Waters, who is currently a stage manager on Taruk. Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Taruk? Yeah. Yeah. It's Taruk. Okay. Yeah. Taruk. Okay. Taruk, the first flight for Cirque du Soleil, which is currently touring Asia. Uh, Carolyn is originally from Toronto, where she graduated with a BFA in performance production from Ryerson University. Um, and then went to New York to get her MFA in stage management from Columbia University and sort of evolved her her Broadway dream um, in that time to more immersive, complex productions, which ultimately led her to Cirque du Soleil, where she is now. Um, So we're going to dig into some of the specifics of how all of that happened uh, in our (laughs) conversation, but that's the, the basic introduction to Carolyn. So welcome, Carolyn. Well, thank you. So to start off with, tell me a little bit about, uh, let's see, you, you got your BFA in performance production. So that's a very specific thing that I think, uh, I feel like a lot of, especially when you're growing up, like a lot of people tend to think of like theater performance as a major, but performance production is a little bit more unusual to get into, uh, before college at any rate. Um, so I'm curious, how what led you to that? Well, I, as many people do, they started off performing, which is what I did. <laughs> um, and then everyone has this moment of, you know, is this for me? Should I be a performer? Should I do something else? And uh, I knew right away the second I got into performing that it wasn't a career path, but it was a mm. it was sort of a door. So I actually ended up watching some stage managers working backstage on shows where I was performing. And was like, I just, I kind of want to do that. Like at the time I was, I think it was about 15. I was like, I kind of want to do that. Like, I think that's, that's really cool. Like somebody is in charge of something that's creating this show every single night. And I want that job. So Hmm. I ended up getting mentored by, uh, by a lovely lady. And she was like, you know, this is how we do this stuff here. This is what it's like to be a stage manager. This is what you're in charge of. I was like, yes, yes. So I started becoming an ASM in like community college or community okay. theater, sorry. Okay. And when you were uh, still in high school. I was still in high school. Yep. So wow. by about grade 10, grade 11, I, I knew I was going to Ryerson for performance production. Like I just had already wow. planned out. <laughs> I already knew. I went, I did one of those, you know how you can go to universities and like check, check the school out the year before mm-hmm. you go to be like, I did that in like grade 11. My mom's like, you can't go yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm so yeah, curious what is Ryerson in Toronto yes yeah it's downtown Toronto what led like um yeah how, what led you there specifically I mean as a person from the states I don't know anything about Ryerson so <laughs> I'm course, curious of course. <laughs> well for me it's been um I wanted something it's very similar to why I went to New York as well I wanted something to, I wanted to be immersed in the theater industry and I felt like mm-hmm. taking a going to a school where I was outside of of the downtown core or outside of the hustle and bustle kind of to me defeated the purpose of why I was studying because I, I want to work on, I've always wanted to work on big, crazy, fun, bright, colorful shows. And that I knew was not, you know, further North or, you know, somewhere else. So I just chose Toronto and looked downtown and Ryerson had a, was the only university that had a theater program down there. Wow. Um, and it was tailored for technical. And the reason why I went there was because they cover all aspects of technical, like every single aspect you could possibly imagine. And as a stage manager, we need to know everything. 
So for me, it was, I am going here in the hopes of exiting as a stage manager with more knowledge in every single department, because that's how I know I will do my job best. And that's exactly what I got. It was great. That's awesome. I feel like that's so rare, actually, for people to get exactly what they're looking for (laughs) in their undergraduate experience. (laughs) I know. I know that I'm a rare breed. I'm, I'm well aware of that. It's like somebody told, gave me, like, my, I gave myself advice or something and then it worked out. I don't know how, hmm. how it happened. But I'm... <laughs> so you were mentioning um, that, uh, you were mentioning a little bit about what sort of initially drew you to stage management. And I'm curious, can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on like, what was it about stage management that really appealed to you? And is that still the same thing that appeals to you about it now? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the short answer is yes. Um, there is something about, it's, it's a very weird job because you do all this work and you do all this planning and your, your whole life is engulfed in, in the show that you're working on and every bit of attention to detail. And most of the people that come to the show have no idea you exist. <laughs> so you're very like beh- the behind the scenes mentality. It, it works for some departments, um, but most people know there's, there's carpenters or there's lighting people. They know that when they see a show, but they don't understand that there's somebody, there's like a mystery person that brings mm-hmm. all of this together. And for some reason that attracted me to, I want to be this person that does all of this coordinating to bring everybody together to be able to create something every night. And I don't need an applause. And it was, it's very mm. weird to go into that from being a performer as well, because it's, it's completely opposite. And yeah. for me, I was, I was always, when I was stage managing, especially when I was younger, growing, growing into it more, um, I did a lot of work with, uh, with creating like the technical aspect of the production. So we would, when you create a show, the stage manager will basically be the coordinator of all technical elements to be able to create what the director wants. Mm -hmm. And I loved that aspect of it because at the end of the day, I could call a show and I could sit back and say like, I helped orchestrate this. And it's a feeling that I gave myself every single time I stage managed. And it, it still applies today. Like when I sit back after I've, you know, called a show, there's this feeling of, like, I just, I'm so proud of what I just did. And that's all that I needed. I just need to give it to myself. And that feeling is just great. So it's, hmm. it's a combination of rewarding yourself from that and working with people. Because if there's any job that I've ever experienced in the world, working with people in terms of like theatrical people and stage management and eat like everybody involved, it's very hard. So it's a fun skill to develop too. Yeah, that's cool. For some reason, when you were talking about being sort of the behind the scenes person who uh, people don't really know that you exist in the audience. Yeah. Um, the image that was coming into my head was the wizard from the Wizard of Oz. Like, exactly. pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly what we do. That is, that is me. That is a stage manager. Nobody That's knows. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and I love it. I think it's fun. And, and even like, you know, friends and family who don't actually understand the theater industry all the time. And, and I talk to you about it. They're like, what, what do you do exactly? Hmm. And I have, to, I have a, the same like paragraph that I say every time now, because I know that they're not going to understand what I've, what I do, but the best way I can describe it is have you, you know, I ask, have you seen a show before, like a live theater show? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, there's like lights that change and set pieces that move and sometimes people that fly and all these things happen and they're like, yeah, 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 it's pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, well, my job is to make sure that all happens at the right time. And they're like, wait, what? And then it kind of delves into this understanding of that's one of my like 50 jobs, but that's ultimately right. our goal. So it's interesting. Hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as, as a theater person, it's so obvious to me that the stage manager is such an essential role. Right. Uh, and so it's so it's interesting to realize that like people don't get it. <laughs> no, and you know what? That's fine. They they don't have to get it. I still I'm still convinced that my parents like don't actually know exactly what I do. I know they have a pretty good idea by now. I've been stage managing for a long time, but still like to put, you know, somebody else if they wanted to be like in my shoes, you know, they would yeah. really understand it, but they don't it's not that they need to. It's just that you know, it's, it's nice 
to have some sort of understanding, which is why, you know, 95% of my, my closest friends are theater people. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Common shared experience. Exactly. Shared knowledge. That's cool. Um, so, okay. So you got your BFA, you moved to New York, um, studying stage management at Columbia. Mm-hmm. So going to New York, you initially were interested in working on Broadway. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That was my goal. Like ever since I started at Ryerson, that was my dream. Hmm. And, and tell me a little bit about that shift from wanting to work on Broadway to getting more interested in the sort of immersive complex productions um, that weren't necessarily happening on Broadway. Right. Well, Broadway, um, my program was very competitive. There's, there were five other people in my class (laughs) and everybody had this dream of working on Broadway. And that's, you know, a lot of the theater people I met, like that's what they wanted to do. And that was their dream. And that was mine too. And I was kind of like going with the herd. And, uh, and then we had some classes where we were shadowing Broadway shows and we got to see more of them. We got to, our teachers were Broadway teachers. It was an excellent program. I loved every second of it. And after my first year and a half, I would say, because my year is two-year program, um, mm-hmm. I started uh, working on a show called Sleep No More, oh, uh, which is cool. an immersive theater production. Yeah, I'm, you might have heard of it. Um, <laughs> and I worked on that show for, for quite some time. And in that, I realized that there's a world, an immersive world, or a more, let's say, a more creative world out there that mm-hmm. changes every single night. Like every single night, our show was variable or different, or sometimes there would be a, a, a problem we'd have to solve because the audience is so involved and you can't predict something. So you have to do a lot of you know, mental planning and it's not as cookie cutter. And I found that the Broadway show is very, very cookie cutter. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that could keep me engaged. That's what it was. I wasn't able to use my, um, my like problem solving creativity button on Broadway because you have rules. It's just filled with rules. Like Hmm. you, you know, and there's nothing to discredit it. I think that, um, you know, there's still a part of me that's like, Oh, the Broadway dream. Like it's still amazing. (laughs) But the the competition to be able to even get in there was something that I quickly realized was not worth my time. I I was not willing to, to compete, Hmm. to get, to be part of something that I kind of didn't know I would actually enjoy. So I made the transition to kind of open my eyes a little bit more. And that's when Sleep No More came around. Um, I did a fighting a workshop called Fighting Gravity, which uh, actually didn't really come to fruition the way it was supposed to. But uh, I did that, which was an immersive project. And then the last show that I did in New York was called Queen of the Night, uh, which is currently not running, but they're reopening it. And that was uh, by the same producers of Sleep No More, I believe. Yeah. And, and uh, I did that. I opened that show in New York. And on that show or Fighting Gravity, I guess, I met, um, I met this lady named Vicky, and she was a stage manager for Cirque for, like, 20 years. Hmm. And in the process, rehearsal process of, like, you know, figuring it, because Queen of the Night had circus elements in it. It's a circus show. Okay. <clears throat> she, she said to me, she's like, you know, have you ever thought about working for Cirque du Soleil? And I was like, nope, nope. That's, I felt like this was, like, the most unachievable dream of all time. Like, it was just... <laughs> it's like just complete greatness. And I'm like, I just, I don't think I'd even, they'd even take me. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not good enough for that. And that was, mm. I remember thinking like, there's no, there's no way, like I can apply a million times and it's hard to get in. And it's a big secret. Like Cirque du Cirque du doesn't teach any of aspects of their world in theater schools. So you don't know anything about it. And it's like a kind of like a, Oh man, I'd be I'd be honored, but that's not going to happen. And she's like, just just try. Like you know, it seems like something that you'd like. And I'm like, "Eh, okay, well, I'll try this. And I don't really try anything kind of half ass. (laughs) So (laughs) I I changed my master's thesis um, to become about Cirque du Soleil Hmm. and about stage managing. And in doing that, I actually kind of hit a double whammy at the same time. I also chose to go to Vegas and do some networking and shadowing for my thesis, but also in hopes that that can provide me with a job in the future, or at least so that they get to know me that I'm interested. And that works like a charm. Like after I left, it was about 
two months later, I got accepted into their internship program, which is really only for, you kind of have to be a U.S. citizen for it, but because I had my visa uh, from going to Columbia, I have an extended one-year visa to work in the arts. Okay. And uh, so I, the day I graduated, the next day my parents came, moved all my stuff out of my apartment to Toronto, was home for like 24 hours, and then I just moved to New York. I meant to move to Vegas, sorry. And that that kind of started. That's the that start of it. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, with your so, what exactly was your thesis? My thesis was um, it was basically so. Obviously, you kind of have to be very specific in thesis projects. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and this one, I decided I toyed with many different ideas, but at the end of the day, what I decided to talk about. Um, was how stage, so basically I took Cirque du Soleil's mission statement and I tried to correlate ways as to how a stage manager would be directly responsible for maintaining this mission statement of the company. Like how as stage managers we are involved in, in trying to basically create the Cirque du Soleil brand. Like how are we involved in that? And I, I mean, it's a really hard, I, at, at the end of the day, I was like, damn, this is hard because I'm making stuff up. There's no textbook <laughs> or rules that says, this is why you do this. It's just, you know, Cirque is a, is a fantastic company that does amazing things. And they're all under the same umbrella of trying to like provoke uh, the senses of, of an audience. And that's their like main goal is to be able to, to create something for an audience that will provide like emotions. That's why we have shows where, you know, things just appear and you don't know, you didn't see it coming. You know, like there's all this like circus element that is created to allow you to have that emotion as an audience member. And there are some shows that we have that do that so well. And then there's some shows that we we're focusing on that. So, and we're working on certain areas to be able to, but that's our goal. And how do we do that as stage managers? So that kind of interested me a lot. And obviously there's a lot more to it than just that. There's scheduling, there's rehearsals, there's, uh, you know, dealing with our, our technical and directors. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's a like pure management skill. But at the end of the day, what makes you, what I would think would make you stand out is somebody who's genuinely invested in, you know, trying to carry the Cirque mission throughout everything that you do. And mm. The, the thesis at the end of the day was actually quite great. And I'm really happy that I wrote it. I kind of want to write another one. <laughs> an, an afterthought the thesis. <laughs> what would you talk about in the afterthoughts the thesis? <laughs> I think my thesis, the second thesis would actually be about how my, because I wrote that thesis before I worked for Cirque, right? Right. Uh, so I think my second thesis would be how this company, how this company was perceived versus the reality. Mm. and it sounds like it would actually be some sort of a, I mean, it's definitely not a negative and it would never, it wouldn't be very negative. It would actually be very positive. It's just interesting as an outside person, not an employee. What do you think of Cirque du Soleil? You know, and everyone thinks it's this grand, like, you know, nobody knows much about it. It's a very, it's a mystery. And then you start working for the company itself and it, it's exposed, you know, and it's like, now, you know, every, like everything you need to know, you know, What's so how are you better off now knowing everything than before? And it's just, it's just a very interesting comparison, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't really know where it would go to be honest, but, mm. um, but it would be kind of fascinating to, to understand, you know, the difference between what I thought this company was before I started. And even like, cause I interviewed people, I spoke to people and my perception, you know, and what they gave me was like, you know, it, something that, uh, sort of seemed like it was just a lot of work and exhausting, but it sort of seemed like kind of easy at the same time. And now that I'm in that, I know what, how that makes sense because it's, it does come across very like easy and, and, you know, very maintainable. But then, you know, you get into the, into the grid of it and it's like, no, this is actually a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work, but it's worth it, you know? Yeah. Hmm. So you were, I'm, I'm interested in um, what you were saying about the sort of the mission of Cirque du Soleil and how uh, the stage manager um, is responsible for sort of manifesting that, that mission, right? 
Um, so, well, actually, let me back up a step. Uh, completely separate from sort of Cirque du Soleil, um, what is the creative element of the role of the stage manager? Because, mm -hmm. um, and I know we've talked about this briefly before, but um, you yeah. know, just to, for the audience, the, this idea that like stage management is a very technical role and there's a lot of like spreadsheets and <laughs> cue books and like all of these very detailed things. Um, so tell us about, tell me about the, the, the creative aspect of your role. It's interesting because a stage manager is actually, it's never, in some places, it's actually very much put in the technical category, you know, depending on where you work. But mm -hmm. here at Cirque, it's not in our, a category of technical. We are in the category of artistic. We mm -hmm. are the artistic department. We are part of that. And that was something that when I started working for Cirque, I realized was, oh, we're in, we're in the artistic department. We're artistic. You know, I just, for some <laughs> reason, assigned it as technical because you know, most of my, my career up to that point has been very involved in technical in terms of, you know, managing technical and, and coming here, it's, it's kind of a different role. And it's, it kind of blew my mind because at the same time, um, in, at Columbia, we would always have classes and we would debate, you know, are stage managers artistic? Are we mm -hmm. creative? Are we, you know, and it was a debate. And then I, I say that strongly because it was, there was like six of us in the class and it was three people being like, we are, we are artistic. We are creative. And the other three being like, absolutely not. We make, we make spreadsheets. <laughs> so, it was a very fascinating class because it, at some point it would go back and forth. And I'm like, Oh, I see your point. Oh, but I see your point. Oh, I got it. And really I think what it comes down to is, is your, like how you are serving the purpose of a stage manager in your job. Some places and, and some theatrical, um, um, events. You are just there to press buttons and call cues and do the same show every single day. Some, mm -hmm. There are some shows that are like that, you know, or there's no people involved and you're calling light shows. Like, you know, it could be a million things and you may not have any say and that's just the way it is. But I've found that uh, in Cirque du Soleil or any high, like any professional world that you end up entering, you actually have a lot more of an opinion. And they have, you have more of a voice. I think that's what it is. You have more of a voice because, for example, in a technical situation, when we start teching a show, which is not, I haven't done that in like two and a half years because I've been working on long running shows, but when you start teching a show, the director will say, oh, you know, I want it to look like this, this, this. And then, you know, you have all the information of how he wants it to look. And then you have to basically coordinate how to achieve that with all of the elements you need. Like, so I'm just going to make this up. But for example, if we're about to like program a scene where this lift comes in and then somebody flies in, but you can't see them and then the lights come up and then they're there, you know, he wants it to look like that. And who's going to be the person that tells automation, okay, this is how fast you need to go for this. This is how quickly you need to fly in this lighting. This is when you kind of need to get ready to come up and this is when you go dark. Who, who is that person? That's, that's a stage manager. That is in some worlds, it can be something different, right? But for the majority of, of the worlds we're in, that's a stage manager, and that is creative. <laughs> that is hard to do because you might be wrong. You might do it, and then it's like, oh, nope, that wasn't it, and you have to do it again. And that's part of being, uh, that's part of being creative and using your ability right. to create something and realize it didn't work and then take it back and try something new. And that's, that is essentially what we do. Mm -hmm. And... I, I mean, I can, I have even more examples. Like we are very much the outside eye to everything. You know, a lighting, per, a lighting designer or even the lighting operator is looking at lighting. Uh, you know, an automation operator is looking at the automation during the show. Sound is, is listening and watching cues. And we're kind of the middle person because we're watching everything. Hmm. And if something's not working or something we feel is off or, you know, our attention to, to the overall show is greater because we're watching the whole thing. And I think our, because our opinion is valued in that, because our director, like we travel with a director on tour um, and he can't watch every single show. He's got a lot of other things he's doing. So we, but we watch every single show. One of us does at least. Um, 
and you know we say hey you know this isn't working out oh why okay can we figure this out and you basically bring things to their attention and that that is a artistic talent <laughs> you know to highlight that stuff yeah and um and yeah I mean, that's that's the most of it i guess at the same time the other aspect that um that's really important is our problem solving skills and that i can without, without a doubt is creativity <laughs> because <laughs> We have to solve, in a, in a normal day, I've always been interested in like thinking, actually doing some sort of a survey with myself and some of my other like coworkers in this, in this world of how many problems do you solve in a day and how many of them are problems <laughs> that you have to think about and how many are, are problems that just you already have the answer to. And there are days where a problem will come up and you have to take three seconds to think about it and continue and that is definitely creativity because sometimes the problems are reoccurring mm -hmm. so sometimes you already know oh i already know how to solve that and that's because you've had an opportunity where you've had to think about it and mm -hmm. we can't just you know it, it takes a lot of thought and energy and focus to be able to provide a feasible solution like it's not just a oh you know yeah just do that whatever you know like we have we care about everything <laughs> So yeah. if someone comes to us and says, hey, you know what, um, this, this person's in my way when I do this thing and now they're not there or whatever, and you immediately have to deal with a person and a situation and who do you go to, how do you approach it? Like there's a, your, your mind just exploded like 20 times. Like you have to think, <laughs> but you have, that's it. And to be able to solve problems that quickly is a very creative process for us mm. because you need to have everything retained of how you do what you do every day. And, you know, it, it's, it goes to show like that's, there's the whole like saying like stage managers can never be sick or whatever. It's like, well, no, I mean, you can, but you know, <laughs> if you're having like a lull day, it's going to take you a bit longer to get stuff done. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So, okay. What, just for, for context, like mm -hmm. how often is this problem solving happening in the middle of a performance? All the time. All the time. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean every show is different, right? Because we have we have a at least um, for example this show we have I don't remember the exact number almost I guess almost thirty technicians running the show, and okay. then we have about right now we have forty three artists on average uh, in the show, and so that you created right there a world of like seventy five or or so humans working on a production with t technology that is sometimes <laughs> unpredictable. And we have, we have a lot of, this is a very high tech show. We have automation, we have video, which is a huge component of our show. We have, uh, we have rigging, obviously associated with automation and people flying. We have lighting. We have a system called Black Tracks, which is essentially an automated follow spot system. Uh, we have car a carpentry team that moves giant trees throughout the show. We have a bunch of prop props and puppets. Like there's so many things in the show that can go wrong. Mm. And on top of that, you have humans doing live theater, which alone can cause many problems. Right. You know, like somebody forgot something or, or they're, you know, they didn't do it correctly because we're training somebody new or something. And every single show is, is kind of like, let's, let's see what happens. Let's solve it as we go. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes we have great shows. Sometimes we've, we have clean shows and, you know, they're, they're smooth and there's nothing happens and everyone does the right thing and all the stuff works the right way. But that is why we're here, like to solve, like whoever's calling the show, whoever's in that hot seat is the problem solver in that mm. night. Like that is the person that will solve it. If something happens and like, you know, we have, we can have an issue where something kind of common depending on the situation might happen uh, and something comes up, everybody looks at you. What do you want to do? You know, do we want to stop? Do you want to like take an extra five seconds and fix it? Or do you want to do you want to do something different and mask this? There's so many options of what you can do. Hmm. And if it's a reoccurring problem, like one that's happened before, then we've already kind of established this is what we do, you know? But right. it's still, if it comes to, you know what, we can't continue with this thing in the way or with this winch not able to, to go up, like we have to stop. It is the stage manager's decision, the calling stage manager's decision to, to do that. Hmm. And it will always be their call and it will always be their responsibility, whether it's a good call or a bad call. But we, you know, we have shows where you have no choice and you have to do what you have to do. 
And we don't like stopping shows, for the record. <laughs> it's, not, it's not something that I say, oh, it's so thrilling when we get to stop a show. Like, it's not. It's actually really, it's, it's very it's like unfortunate. last possible resort. It is the last possible resort. And, you know, some shows are, can easily get around stopping. And some shows like us, we're so technical that, and we're like a through story. The show is a story. So it's hard mm. for us to just say, oh, we'll just skip those two scenes. No big deal. Like, we can't really do that. So sometimes we run into some issues where we're like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll slow down or we'll stop or we'll fix this and we'll change that. But that is 100% a big part of the stage manager's role is trying to solve problems and prevent things from happening before they happen. Mm-hmm. And we trust, we trust all of our eyes. We trust all those technicians on the stage to be watching something and you know you're watching something. Everyone's watching something different. Everybody has their eye on some things. They're able to say, you know, this is going to affect this and, you know, whatever. Um, And we trust our technicians. And we have, man, we've got amazing technicians on this show. Like it's, we are so lucky. They're just fantastic. And every time there's a problem with any department, everybody's like helping out. Like, how can I help? Like it's, it's a very great teamwork. Um, But the, the, you know, our job is to be able to help prevent this from, from getting into, you know, the show being compromised artistically, you know, we want to make sure we have everything there. And sometimes, you know, we're, we're a touring company, like we tour. So sometimes like, for example, you're in China and there's things that you actually can't get. (laughs) Like there's stuff here that we, we don't know how to get it or it's going to take a long time. So if something is, you know, broken and we have to take it out of the show for some reason, because we're waiting for like a spare part to come from North America, that's possible. Mm. You know, but how can we still maintain the show artistically to be able to work our way right. through this? And we rely on everybody to help us with that. But it is definitely, we are the ringleaders of, of trying to, to evoke that change. And also to make sure that if people have ideas that, you know, they come forward and they know that their voice can be heard as well. Hmm. So earlier you were talking about your, your thesis um, looking at sort of how the stage manager supports the mission of the company. Um, and I think that we tend to think of creativity artistry being sort of a, a what is the word, like an, an in, a very independent thing. Um, but uh, I mean, obviously in, uh, uh, you know, Cirque du Soleil is a, Cirque du Soleil is for profit, right? Yep. Yeah. So Cirque du Soleil is for profit. Also Broadway is for profit. You know, like there are these sort of for profit models um, where uh, art is being created um, under this sort of corporate umbrella with a mission. And I guess I'm, what am I trying to ask you? I'm, I'm wondering about, um, It's, I know what you're trying to say. You get, almost, almost as if like, how are, because our company has like, I don't know how many people, like 5,000 plus people. I'm sure. Like, I, have, I have no idea <laughs> how many people are in this company. But how can a role, like, like not specifically like my role, but how can mm-hmm. any role in the company really support a mission when all of our jobs are actually very different? And yeah. We all have, like, my job is not essentially to, to provide that mission statement. That is not my job but my, at all. Like, I can't, mm-hmm. no stage manager is hired on the terms of, like, you must, like, we're not in the military, <laughs> you know, like, and <laughs> we are very much, a, we are a business. Like, some people work for this company, and this is their job, and that's what they do, and they get up, and they put their pants on, and they do this thing, and then they come home. Like, it's just, and some people have that, this, we, it's a business. Like, at the end of the day, you are working for a, a, a company that uh, it, it's, a, it's a corporation. And I've never had to deal with the corporate structure before, uh, mm. but with a combination of a corporate structure and a theatrical business, it's very interesting because you're always like, okay, but you're a business and I understand that, but we're trying to do some art here. And there are some times <laughs> you kind of want to raise your hand and you're like, but, we, but but we need these things to make it look great, and you know, but they still have a business to run. And right. so, as a as a stage manager, I tried to understand like the mission, and I I typed it online because I did not want to be incorrect with the sentence because uh, you know, 
But the mission of Cirque du Soleil is to invoke the imagination, provoke the senses, and evoke the emotions of people around the world. That is their mission. And I remember reading that and thinking, invoke, provoke, and evoke are like the most powerful three words you could possibly mm. combine together. And how, how do I use that to do my job every single day? And it's not, oh, it's not going to be a, a direct correlation, obviously. Like I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not the one provoking the senses for the humans around the world. I, you know, it's not me, but how can I contribute to that? And the biggest way that I saw was that a stage manager in every aspect on every production anyone's ever worked on for sure is the one that kind of leads the emotional drive of, of the people that you work with. You know, hmm. if, how do you react to things, how do you feel and how you, how you speak to people and how people speak to you and, and creating this environment in our world of positivity and you know we're going to get through this together and all that stuff has always been like a stage manager role it's almost like a a mother role in that sense it's always felt like that to me on every show i've ever worked on and people look up to that people people kind of need that you know you're sort of that driving force and if i want to be able to you know to make change which is a huge thing in this world that's happening right now everybody's wanting to make change here and there or whatever knowing that it's not going to, you know, you're not going to change it tomorrow, but you can change it one at a time, like a step at a time. Mm -hmm. And for me, coming into work every day and, and, you know, getting people inspired to do their craft can change a lot of people's perspectives of, you know, today I was having a bad day and then I came in and then, you know, now I'm inspired and now I'm going to do greatness. And that ends up, that energy that you've sort of even hinted at or helped build or helped maintain essentially for for technicians to performers to everybody you know because everybody mm -hmm. has to to be passionate about what they do and if you have the ability to transfer that that source of energy to to them then they will have that ability to transfer that to an audience member and to deliver that or to a technical team where as i said like sometimes and not necessarily this production but sometimes shows the technicians don't get along you know sometimes there's problems right. there and sometimes they don't help each other and then you're stuck in situations where you have problems and, and nobody knows why or people are quitting. Like that, there's worlds like that that happen out there. And why? And, you know, why, why is that happening? And here I found that if, you know, if you just sort of find creative ways, creative ways, I say creative because it is an art form to be able to figure out different ways to communicate and mm -hmm. get across to other people, right? Everyone's different. But if you find a really like meaningful and creative way to be able to communicate to people, you know, like you, you need to love what you're doing and you work good at it and you need to go, go out there and be proud of what you do every day. That will transition to, to touch so many lives, you know, and some people don't even need it, but you do it anyway, you know, and that is part of the mission of Cirque to evoke the emotions of people. So somebody, right. you know, how many kids do we have are our circus followers? who come to Cirque du Soleil and say, my dream is to work here. And every single day you, you know, then you have the opposite perspective where, you know, you're coming to work, you're kind of tired, you know, you're going to have your coffee and your lunch and you're going to go on stage, you're going to do your show and you're going to go home. But to somebody in that audience, you just changed their whole life, you know? And mm -hmm. that is why we, that's why we do what we do. But to be able to find ways to marry those worlds together, which is why I've tried to like find a lot of ways to teach about Cirque stage management or mentor about it, to, to find a way to marry those worlds together and know that this is the reality of what it's like to work here, but this is what you're going to get. And this is everything that you've probably imagined. And so taking the mission of the company into my job is more of trying to use it as like some, you know, in, something inspi an inspiring role to be able to have people understand that what Cirque's mission is, is what you are doing. You are doing exactly what their mission is every single day. Mm. And it's just sort of drawing people's attention to that. And that is something that I've learned as a stage manager, I can do, you know, it's yeah. not huge, but I know I can do that. I know I can make somebody feel special and feel acknowledged that, you know, thank you for making this work every night. Right. You know, at, at the end of every time I call a show, I'll thank every single operator that's up there with me. Thank you for for creating this for me tonight because you did a great job and everything was perfect. Even if we had a problem, they solved it. And I didn't even know, you know, sometimes that happens <laughs> and that you, everybody up there is involved in that. And 
that that's sort of what I end. I mean, obviously I wrote like a 50 page thesis about this, so I've expanded <laughs> on everything. Um, but that was generally the gist of it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. It, it's almost, I mean, I feel like I, I talk to people a lot about um, the importance of, of con- creative constraints um, in, in supporting the, uh, the act of creation, right? That by having these constraints, it sort of aids us to um, come up with solutions, you know, produce our work, etc. Um, and it almost sounds like the Cirque du Soleil mission serves as a sort of creative constraint for your work. Like, yeah. like that it gives you parameters in which to guide what you're doing every day. Um, and for sure. Of, and, and yeah. it does, it does actually really like, especially if you go, I mean, I, I'm, if you go, I don't really often sit at a Cirque show that I've not worked on. So it's, it's sometimes we do that and it feels very weird. But when you do, like I saw, it was like two years ago, I, or I don't remember, maybe a year ago, I saw Lucia. And that is a, a relatively new show. And I took my dad to see it because my dad's like the world's biggest Cirque fan. And <laughs> we went to the dress rehearsal in Montreal. And I remember that show. I was like, I was emotionally touched by everything in that show. Mm. And it was not just the performers. It was how the scene changes laid out. It was, it was the music. It was the, it was how the, the, you know, they had this giant rain curtain that came out and then the lights came in and then people flew through it. Like I was like, it, it, you know, tears in my eyes the entire mm. time. And I remember thinking like, man, we do great stuff because that <laughs> was just, it just, it really gets you going like emotionally because it's not about, it's not about like, you know, text, like going to see a play and hearing words that, that come to you and you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. And, you, you know, it's not about that. It's about something that's harder to achieve. It's hard to achieve something that makes you emotionally feel something by, by a visual or by something you hear. Like, that's hard. It's hard to figure out, you know, what is the majority of people, how is the majority of people going to react to something so powerful? And some people will be like, you know, there's, there's a good chunk of people that just really may not feel anything from it, you know? And then there's some people who are just like, that oh, just breathtaking, breathtaking. And I can, I can go through each Cirque show and pick out all the moments that either it was breathtaking or it was like completely shocking. You know, in Curios, they have a, an act where the, the, they have a table scene at, like they're stacking all these tables and chairs and people are climbing it and then the second they get to the top you realize they're doing the exact same thing and completely upside down right above you and it's the way they reveal it is like a shock and you're like what and so no matter what age you are you still have this like youth element of you of I can't believe this is happening you know and it just and it kind of brings out so many emotions that you feel whether it's happy or sad or and that the company is trying to create that in every single thing they do and Mm. to be part of understanding you know why we do that and what it's causing for an audience member and how we achieve that is is kind of a it's a blast and that's not something you get everywhere you go you know that's what makes this company so unique is their goal is to really try to find like you know how is the audience going to it's all about the audience how are they going to feel when this happens and then my thought is, you know, then how can, how can we make people that work with us to be able to create this every single day, understand and know what they're creating is magic and powerful every night. Cause sometimes you lose sight of that. Hmm. That's, that's the thing is sometimes you forget, like sometimes, you know, I, have, I haven't sat to watch our show in a long time without doing anything. <laughs> it's either <laughs> calling or I'm backstage. So, um, but every once in a while, if I do sit out there, I'm like, man, this is just, it's just amazing. And when you step outside for a second, you know that, you know, all that hard work it took for you to get to, to making this one thing work, which for you seems like, okay, yep, we did it next for next assignment. You know, it's sort of like next thing. It's so powerful for the audience Hmm. to be able to feel like they've all, we've created something that has made people feel something. That's just, it's insane. It's amazing. Hmm. So I'm wondering what, 
Yeah, you know, I, I think I'm just gonna, I, I, I'm gonna leave it at this. Uh, is there anything else that you would want people to know about your work that you don't think people know? That's a very good question. Um, I think that it's important to know that I find that the job of a stage manager is a job that is always evolving and we are always learning. It's not a job where you enter your comfort zone. You know, those jobs where you're, you're comfortable, you've got it, you know, you're doing every day. I don't know. I don't know what's going to come my way today. I have no idea. It's like 9.54 in the morning. We have two shows today. I have no idea. I know who, <laughs> I know what the shows are supposed to, because, you know, we change our shows often with casting, right? To be able to give people shows off and on and off and on. I have no idea what's going to happen. It could happen right now. I could get an email, you know, that, that something's changing. And it's very exciting, but it's not comfortable. And it's, it's mm. a very like uncomfortable feeling. And it's important to, to for people to know that even though it's outside of your comfort zone, every, sing, every single day I'm outside of my comfort zone, it is very exciting because you have those challenges right in front of you. But obviously there's some people that, that just can't handle that. And there's some people that have spent most of their career trying to embrace that. And mm. That is what I, where I have been, which is why I've, I always feel like I'm, I'm learning something new every single day. And somebody's, either somebody's teaching me something or I'm learning something about myself. And it's not a role that, you know, we just go to work and we run a show and we go home. That is not what we do every day. We, we create something and everybody has to be on their A game. Everybody has to be on their A game. And it's hard work. It's not, you know, it's not easy. And sometimes you're going to have audiences where you have like 5,000 people. And sometimes you're going to have less than that. And you still have to create the same show every single day. And when things happen, you need to be able to, to solve them and to create the best thing you could possibly do on the fly live. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's a crazy job, but it is important to know that doing, having a job outside of your, your comfort zone and your ability is is a learning curve and it's really hard but man once you can if you can work like that you you're excelling every single day and it's like you're in, you end up inspiring yourself that you you know <laughs> succeeded through your day because it, it, it's hard um, mm. and there's nothing that I would ever change about that that is that is still the reason why I am where I am I mean, eventually one day I actually probably will get really tired of <laughs> of this world because it, it's very exhausting. Like it's, it's, as you know, we've, we've tried to have this conversation like weeks ago. Um, it, but it's, it's still a, a very inspiring place to be and to people to be around, you know? Hmm. So. How do you take care of yourself in the context of um, that environment? It's been hard because especially on tour, I think touring is the harder part because you're going back to a hotel room and, uh, and you obviously I'm, I'm definitely a workaholic. So my mind always spins about work. Uh, and you know, what, what am I going to have to do today? What projects am I doing and stuff? But to be able to separate yourself from that, it's, uh, it's finding the ability to shut, shut it off. And that's what you have to do when you get home. So most of the times people choose, like I've chosen in the morning, I'm thinking about my work day. I'm thinking about, what today's, you know, I, I'm mentally preparing myself for the day, but the second I leave work and I go home, it's off. Like everything's off. You know, nothing will need my attention right now. I will be fine. Mm -hmm. And I will spend time with some friends on tour. I will, um, I read a lot of books. I'm taking a, or, an uh, online course right now. Like I'm doing stuff for myself. That is it. You got to do stuff for yourself. Yeah. And, and if you can figure out what those things are, then uh, it's, it's very manageable. Hmm. Do you have any personal creative practices outside of your stage management work? Um, yeah, actually I do. <laughs> like, no, I don't. Um, I've, I've sort of created, well, aside from creating my own like meditative yoga rituals that I do on my own, which completely wipes my brain from all energy throughout the day, which is great. Um, I do also, I have recently started writing poetry and I don't know why. Um, 
one day I was like, I think I think I think a lot of I think about a lot of things. I'm just gonna write it all down, and then it just ended up becoming poetry. And so I just write it all the time, and it's sort of been my saving grace of you need an outlet. That's the that's the heart. You need an outlet. Like after your day, you can't bring your frustrations to work. You can't bring your personal frustrations, your work frustrations. It's not professional, and it's not necessary. And sometimes it'll get to you and sometimes you'll have to let it go at work. And then, you know, that's, you'll have to apologize. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to give you attitude. I'm just really tired, you know, but you have to be careful because you have the power to affect a lot of people. Mm. And, you know, it's, you have to kind of control that and teach other people to control that too. So when I come home after a long, tiring day or I'm exhausted or something happened and I'm emotional, but whatever it is, I have to write it down somewhere. And that's what it ended up becoming, like journaling. I am, well, journal I do every day, no matter what. But the poetry has been a new thing to like be an outlet of this is how I felt today and this is how it affected me. And, you know, this is, I'm just getting my emotions on paper. And then you just immediately become clear and you're like, oh, I'm good. And that's it. Mm. That's all it takes sometimes. And it took a while for me to figure that out. But once you did, I was, did, I was like, oh, I mean, I can take anything that happens in my day. I'll just have to write it down later. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your meditation practice? Yeah. So I have um, my my parents are both very um, have always been for some time very spiritual, and uh, and sort of I guess it was about five years ago I started getting a little bit interested in what they're what the heck they were talking about and started doing a little bit of my own um, my own research uh, with books and with um, with motivational speakers about stuff. And recently I've been doing a lot of like, you know, energy work with the earth. So mm. stuff about like, you know, nature and, and how I, I'm a kind of person that needs nature to be able to, to re-energize myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes no matter, no, no matter where I am, we're usually in, we're usually in big cities, but you can find nature somewhere. Um, and if you can't find it, you have to bring it to you, which is what I've been trying to do. Um, to do so I use like essential oils that are all tree and plant or wood based uh and most of the time meditation it's it's either just just lying on my yoga mat and listening to some sort of like earth music uh for it could be 20 minutes it could be an hour sometimes I do it for five minutes I'm like I'm good you know it just every day it, it depends and it's just a time for you to just empty empty your brain from everything and think about nothing Hmm. and allow your 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 soul to get like reconnected with the earth which is where you know where a lot of our emotions and our well-being stems from Hmm. and once I started doing that I just felt very clean and very clear like it was everything was clear you know nothing became foggy anymore and it's still it's still a work in progress but it's it's nice to be able to find that on on the road and it doesn't matter what city I'm in but I'm I end up for however long it takes to be somewhere else. And it's great. Hmm. Yeah. I can imagine that's uh, that grounding practice is really crucial for when you're traveling so much. Yeah, it is. It is the grounding that has been, has been the hardest thing to do, but it was uh, in August. I went home and I was like, I had like two weeks off and uh, went up North and was like, I need, I just needed something to like ground me a bit. And it wasn't really out on a whim because I did actually have the idea that I wanted to do this, but I, I just went and I bought a house. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I just, I need something. And then I went, I, you know, I, I kind of came back on tour like, yeah, I bought a house. I mean, I don't have it yet. My parents are going to get it in like two months. Like what? <laughs> I, was like, I just, I had, I was missing something. And that was now I, now I have a house. Like <laughs> I live on the road. Um, you know, I, I, I've been planning it for a long time, but I never planned to do that in that break at all and yeah. did not win you know I I signed the first signal like you know I learned a lot of stuff recently but mm. <laughs> I signed sure. the, I put the first offer in and then I hopped on a plane and I flew to New Zealand and on route I landed in Vancouver and she like accepted the offer and I went back and then I flew landed in New Zealand and it was almost a done deal and it was just like oh yeah I just did this thing but <laughs> yeah but after that it, it was it was for t- to ground myself. That's what I did that for. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, and I, it's just, it's the smartest decision I've ever made in my life for sure. 
Hmm. So just the psychological sort of knowing that you have a home. Yep. Somewhere yep. in this earth. <laughs> yeah, because like, you know, I, I'm still young and my stuff is still at my parents' house. Like I lived in my parents' house. When I moved to New York, I was 21 and I'm almost 29 now. And okay. since then, I've never lived at home for longer than like two or three weeks. Like I've been at New York and then Vegas and then I started touring and I've been touring for almost three years now. So it's like, I've never really been home, but my home is always where my family is for sure. Mm -hmm. I have like three younger brothers. So they're, they're fantastic, but I just, I needed to be a little bit smarter. I think that's what it was. And I realized Mm -hmm. if I'm, if I buy a home and I'm on the road and I rent it out I can get it paid for, like, you know, and I know since when I started working more professionally and actually, you know, obviously in the theater world, you don't make a lot of money at the beginning, but eventually, you know, you, you, you can, you can make a good living. And uh, after that point, I was like, I have the money to do this and I think I should. And so that's what, that's what kind of caused that to happen. Mm. Um, but my family home, like my clothes are still in my parents' home. Like I, I haven't really moved out, out yet. I'm just sort of like, I have a house guys. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just, t- you know, take care of it for me while I'm gone. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious, um, not to get too nitty gritty into like what your salary is, but yeah, uh, sure. are you able to be in a place where you can afford to buy a house because you're on the road and so many of your expenses are paid for? Or like, what, how does that work? Um, it's a combination of that and a combination of savings. So like I've been okay. saving a lot of money for a long time. Um, but part of that is on the road. Um, I would say that a good, like most, I mean, obviously our hotel is paid for, our flights are paid for, like our, our transportation to and from work is paid for. Uh, like every single tour, any touring show and any company, uh, they give you so a per diem, basically. Mm-hmm. Some of it sometimes per day, per week, whatever, to spend on, you know, the life outside of it. And mm-hmm. then you have your base salary. So, that, you know, it's it does include a lot of things, but you still spend money on tour. Like, we still sure. go out and do stuff. Like, even, we, you know, we might have a, a couple days off in a row so coming up and a bunch of us are going to go to Hong Kong. That's going to cost me like a thousand dollars. You know, like it's, <laughs> we spend money all the time on our own pleasure while we're on tour, but it is definitely how you, how you spend it and spending it wisely. That is, mm. that can be tricky for some and uh, not so tricky for most. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a combination of both, but Affording the house portion is something that I've been, I've been planning that since I lived in Vegas. So it's been like four years. Mm. So I've been saving for about four years before and my parents still helped me. So I'm like, (laughs) these days houses are not cheap. It's not. Also you bought a house in Canada. So I I did. I bought it in like the, in the cottage country, like in the forest, as far away from the city as possible. I imagine that helps with the price factor. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It, no, it did a lot. And the downtown Toronto is impossible. It's, there's oh yeah, no downtown Toronto is like the same way. as New York, right? It's the same thing. There's no way I can't even afford rent there. Like I would never. It. I. There's no way. And you know what? I've. It took me about a, a couple of months for me to realize it. But we tour because we're a big show. We tour big cities, and we're always in cities. A bad example is right now. Right now we're on an island south of Hong Kong in China. Like it's we're in a s- smaller complex, mm. but um, but most of the time we play big cities like Australia. We played every major city in Australia and wow. both major cities in New Zealand. And we played Taiwan and we play huge cities. And every time I come home, I was like, I don't want to be in a city. Please let me be in the woods, like by myself where it's quiet. There's a lake, there's no people around, you know, you need mm-hmm. a break from that. And that's why the house, buying the house in the woods, like, I mean, yeah. it's in a, t- it's actually in the town, but the town has like, you know, 40 houses on the street like it's, it's <laughs> small but it's still it's uh it's definitely compared to you know playing big we played New York we play everywhere it's you need a break from it and that's sort of that was yeah. the goal your respite yeah very cool well thank you so much Carolyn this has been awesome you have any last sort of thoughts uh that you want to share before we sign off um no 
<laughs> no, I mean, I mean, not really. I think we touched a lot of things that you know yeah, I didn't did. plan on talking about, but it's, it's kind of exciting because um, there's not a lot of times people actually want to hear from our perspective. Like, it sometimes it comes as a shock. Mm. You're like, you you want to hear about it? Okay, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, it's, because it, as I said before, it's not a it's not a job that is usually highlighted and that people don't actually know exist. So it's kind of nice when you somebody sees you exist and be like, thank you for noticing me like that. <laughs> you know, thank you for thinking that I was, I am, I am able to, to give something to this because, uh, because to me it is, it's a special craft and there's a lot of people out there that want to be in my shoes. Like there, and I know this because I was one of those people a long time ago that wanted to be in someone's shoes and knowing that it is totally possible and achievable, but you need to go at it like 150%. And if you go at it at 80%, like you're not going to get anywhere because mm. you, it's not, it's not even about the competition. It's about proving the drive that you have to be, it's like a survival of the fittest mode, you know, can, will you survive this? <laughs> mm. And if you can prove that you can pretty much do anything you want to do. And it's nice that, that, um, to share my world, you know, about this world that we live in and the complexity because it's fun. <laughs> and it's so fun to hear about uh, all of the wild uh, behind the scenes at Cirque du Soleil. I mean, I remember seeing, um, uh, and I actually, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I've ne I don't think I've ever actually seen a live Cirque du Soleil show. <laughs> <laughs> it is um, okay. <laughs> I, but I remember when I was in high school, um, I was like in theater class in high school and I think we were like coming up on a, on a production and my theater teacher was like in the weeds of like getting costumes together. And so he put on a video of a Cirque du Soleil show. It was a, it was like a, I think it was a show that was created for video maybe. Um, but I remember watching this this movie of, Cirque, of a Cirque du Soleil show when I was in high school and being so enthralled by it um, on, on screen, on a small screen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just like imagining how much more awesome it would be in a, you know, a full arena. Um, it's it's a really incredible company um so it's really cool to hear about some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to make it all happen oh for sure and you know what i wish that there was a way that we could i mean like talk about it more freely freely you know like i wish because we can't like it's just part of this like it's not the secrets of the company or whatever but mm -hmm. we we still hold the magic in us like sure there's still some way, like some things that, you know, I would want to sort of delve into that we, we, we don't talk about and yes. we, don't, we don't need to talk about it, but you need Pay to pay no attention there is... to what's happening behind the curtain. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. Like don't look at us because Cirque, one thing that Cirque does really well, especially in their live shows is they try to, we always try to set up for the next performance, the next act coming up. We always try to okay. set up for the next act when nobody can see that we're trying to do that everything is sort of mm. hidden you know like like it's a surprise like it, the surprise element is what we try to keep to keep together you know forever and we we don't want to you know we want to suspend people in this world where they don't know what's coming up you know what's coming and I feel like that's sort of the same mentality of of trying to preserve the the secrets of our job and you know, it's you don't need to know, but you need to know that it's it's pretty freaking cool. And <laughs> you know, if if I get like a lot of messages on LinkedIn or emails from people who want to know what it's like and they're stage managers and they want to work for Cirque and all I get all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh and most of the time I always do like a brief summary of you know what it's like. But we have students that come shadow us. There people if people are in our city, they're allowed. You know, we we ha are allowed to be able to have a training, a mentorship program where we can show people what it's like and we will tell them straight up. If they come to see us, we will tell you. Um, and because that's the world hmm. that we want you to learn about. And what was it? When I was on Verakai, we were in the UK and every single week in a different city, 
on a Saturday, we had two students come and just shadow our world wow. and learn what it was like. And I mean, that was a lot of work, but I loved it because I love, I love being able to share our world to people who want to be a part of it. And you know what? It's a great opportunity because you may end up coming to our world and being like, oh my God, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then you just... <laughs> It helps you focus, right? It helps you focus your career. Like how many times have you tried something and you're like, um, not for me next and you move <laughs> on. And to find that out at a young age is, is kind of how I ended up where I was. Like I knew I didn't want to do this. I knew I wanted to do that. You're good at it. You like it. It feels fun. Let's do it. And that, that's how you learn. Mm. So it's sharing that world is like such a pleasure and, and hopefully will inspire future stage managers to want to be able to, to, to grow in this company or grow in the career at least, you know? Hmm. I, I'm sure it will. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Yeah. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to Everyday Creative People. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook at Dina Adrian's Coaching and join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group. I'd love to hear from you. See you again next Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs>